0: Welcome to let's talk new mexico i'm your host megan kamrick i'm the news director at kunm it's been five months since recreational cannabis was legalized in new mexico with retail sales slated to start on april 1st 2022 we have explored this several times this year on let's talk so where do things stand now The state Cannabis Control Division, under the Regulation and Licensing Department, has been holding public hearings as it creates rules to regulate the new industry. Some would-be entrepreneurs have run into challenges getting licensed and started. Lawmakers this week approved a loan program for micro-businesses through the New Mexico Finance Authority. The new Cannabis Regulatory Advisory Committee is working on a plan to promote social and economic equity among everything from license holders to employees. And state officials have identified at least 150,000 people who may be eligible for automatic expungement for some past marijuana offenses. We'll catch up on cannabis on this episode, and we want to hear from you. Are you wondering where things stand with legal recreational cannabis? Are you trying to get into the business? What would you like to see happen with this new industry to ensure it benefits a wide swath of New Mexicans? Email Talk at kunm.org. Tweet with the hashtag Let's Talk NM or call in live during the show at 505-277-5866. I am joined today by Andy Lyman, a reporter with New Mexico Political Report. He's been reporting on the state's medical cannabis program for years, and he and I co-host the podcast Growing Forward Cannabis in New Mexico. That's at New Mexico. That's at New Mexico PBS and wherever you find your podcast. We launched it last year with a grant from the New Mexico Local News Fund. We've been tracking the shift from the medical cannabis program to full legal recreational cannabis and talking to business owners, state officials, researchers, and hopeful entrepreneurs. Andy, let's just do a quick recap. Since we did our last Let's Talk New Mexico on this topic right after the governor, or right before she signed the uh, Cannabis Legalization Act, I believe, that took effect in late June. But we don't have retail sales yet. So broadly, what has changed?
1: Um, Yeah, so uh, on a real basic level, I'm sorry, one second. Okay. On a real basic level, um, it's it, uh, law enforcement has changed so that uh, possession of up to two ounces of flour uh, or 16 grams of cannabis extract and, and 800 milligrams of edible cannabis um, at one time is, is now legal for those 21 years of age or older. Um, as far as rules go, oh, and also home grows are, are now legal. So adults 21 or over can have six mature plants. Uh, that means flowering plants. Um, And up to 12 plants if there's more than one person uh, of age in that household. Um, And then RLD and its Cannabis Control Division are still working through uh, rules for things like manufacturing, uh, testing, uh, couriers. And there's also an advisory panel um, that I'm sure we'll hear from uh, today uh, that that are making recommendations to RLD. Um, And actually, as of right now, RLD has accepted at least one license so far. And I think they may have issued a second one, is what I've heard. Uh, and lastly, uh, a big shift in regulatory responsibility. So on June 28th, most of the regulatory powers moved from the Department of Health to the Regulation and Licensing Department.
0: And what are the main topics that you've been following at New Mexico Political Report as this has rolled out?
1: So mostly I've just been trying to keep an eye on, on actual the actual rollout of this brand new program. Um, a lot of people have either been on the sidelines or even involved in a medical cannabis company waiting for this program to start for a variety of reasons, variety of reasons. but um, under the DOH, the medical cannabis program sort of uh, seems um, sometimes a little bit separate and, and maybe not as covered as other state programs. And, and I know you and I have both heard uh, numerous times this uh, wild west when it came to uh, the medical cannabis program. So there's a lot of stuff to still be worked out. And uh, sometimes that means sort of correcting the ship.
0: And remind us what some of the projections are for revenue for the state when we do begin retail sales of recreational cannabis in April.
1: Um, so they, they have varied a little bit. And of course, uh, they are projections sort of, uh, it's, I wouldn't say it's a guess. It's pretty, pretty educated uh, guess, I guess. But um, Ultra Health, a cannabis company here in New Mexico, has, uh, I think they commissioned a study earlier this year. Uh, they showed the market will be more than $700 million uh, right out of the gate, closer to $800 million by 2026. But there's been other studies, too, that sort of look more at uh, state revenue. And that varies, I think, anywhere from 50000 to $100,000, i am sorry, $100 uh, million in tax revenue for the first year.
0: Um, uh, legalization was sold in part as a good for the public coffers and therefore benefiting the public at large. Are those revenues earmarked for particular uses like education or social programs, or does the money go into the state's general fund?
1: Right now, it's just going to the general fund. Um, You know, I'll say I'm far from a tax expert, but uh, sort of the short answer is that earmarks uh, were decided against, The lawmakers decided against those earmarks partly because Uh, They figured it would be easier to uh, discuss setting money aside after we know how much money is actually there. Um, But that's probably going to be sort of a contentious issue going forward as well because there's um, anytime you start talking about where money goes, uh, everybody wants a little piece of that. And there's a lot of talk of, you know, should we give law enforcement uh, more money now that they don't have to enforce uh, the previous drug laws? Um, But, of course, law enforcement and supporters of law enforcement are saying, well, we need more money for drug recognition experts and and that sort of thing. Um, But I I think um, one thing to keep in mind is the governor hasn't fully uh, figured out what she's going to put on the call in 30-day session. So I wouldn't rule it out completely that we uh, will see some sort of uh, effort to sort of put that money to uh, certain uses.
0: And how about municipalities and local governments? How will they potentially benefit
1: Right now, uh, because there's no earmarks for for that kind of stuff, I think my my understanding is that that they'd be relying mostly on their gross receipts taxes that they apply to that. Um, The excise tax is what the revenue for the state is, what the state's getting. Um, And so until they figure out how they're going to distribute that money, um, I I, believe that only GRT would be what uh, municipalities are going to see.
0: Uh, We are talking about the road to legal recreational cannabis here in New Mexico. Feel free to email us with questions or comments at letstalkkunm.org, or you can call us at 505-277-5866. Also joining us, along with Andy Lyman, is Kristen Thompson. She is the newly named director of the state's Cannabis Control Division. It was created to oversee the cannabis industry in New Mexico. It is under the state regulation and licensing department. Kristen, you came from Colorado where you've been involved in crafting that state's legalization laws. What drew you here to New Mexico?
2: Um, Hi, it's nice to be with you. Um, Thanks for joining us. uh, Thank you. Um, So uh, this was such an incredible opportunity um, coming to New Mexico. I was really, really thrilled to um, hear from the governor got to hear the governor speak about the potential for um, legal cannabis in the state of New Mexico. Uh, it really inspired me to, ha- to listen to her talk about having equity and sustainability and a program that is for the people of the state and. Um, Uh, to really build good economic development and, um, and some potential within the state of New Mexico, it was refreshing. Um, It is generally not uh, the way that cannabis gets legalized. Um, It's usually kicking and screaming from, um, from uh, elected officials. So, um, so it was just refreshing. I was inspired by her um, and, I was ready to leave the industry, and um, here I am. <laughs>
0: well, that's interesting. So are you seeing major differences between Colorado's system and what you're finding or what you're creating in New Mexico?
2: Uh, every system is unique to every state. Um, I have worked in multiple states, not just Colorado. Um, oh, thank you. And, and, I forgot and that. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I... Um, You know, they all have, they all carry with them the personality of the state, reflect the needs of of each state, and I'm excited to learn from and work with all of the stakeholders to build a program that is right for New Mexico.
0: You are coming on board at a critical time when the state is working through applications for licenses. Can you give us a sense now where we are in terms of issuing licenses?
2: Sure. We will have some big announcements coming very soon um, on the issuance of licenses. Uh, the staff um, at the Cannabis Control Division is working diligently to review the applications and to work with applicants to help them complete their applications. Again, we expect some big announcements very soon um, on, on issuance, specifically for producers.
0: Um, I have, uh, your department gave me some numbers. So we have over 1900 producer applications that were started online, Um, 122 have been submitted by the applicants, there are 45 currently under review by your staff, and 77 are pending further action by the applicant. So that means the applicant needs to get some more information to you all. Is that right?
2: That's correct.
0: Okay. Now, as Andy mentioned, one license has been issued uh, to Mother's Meds in Farmington, I believe, or in San Juan County. This is the first license issued so far. What are some of the factors that might be delaying more licenses coming out? I think people thought more would be coming out by now.
2: So um you are correct Mothers Meds has a piece of paper that will be their license once their once their background checks are completed um until that process is complete the license is not in effect for Mothers Meds and they cannot engage in in any cannabis um business um again we are you know we are anticipating uh the release of some exciting news um regarding the background checks um hopefully this week Okay.
0: Uh, That has been apparently a sticking point um, on the background checks. You need to have a number or the FBI is to issue a number for that. Um, We'll talk about that more in a minute. And this has been a very fast track to get new rules in place for a new industry that will include existing producers who are in the medical cannabis industry and new entrants. So are we on track? Do you feel okay about where we are in terms of hitting deadlines?
2: Oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, Kristen. Yes, that was
0: for you, Kristen. Kristen Thompson.
2: Um, no, we are um, we are absolutely on track. We am happy to say the cannabis control division has been hard at work since the division was created six months ago. We're on track to start adult use cannabis sales by the April first legislative deadline um we've got the rules in place for producers and um again processing those license applications um uh we are anticipated well there yes we had a hearing yesterday we will have one next week for manufacturer retail courier services um through our our open and transparent rulemaking process we really um would um, emphasize that we are, are here to get the feedback. It does influence the work that we do um, and will help us get to that April 1st legislative deadline together.
0: Okay, we are talking about the path to legal recreational cannabis on Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Megan Kamrick, and our, in New Mexico is working excuse me, New Mexico is working to promote a plan for equity in the cannabis industry. What would you like to see in those recommendations? You can tweet to us with the hashtag Let's Talk NM, email us at letstalkkunm.org, or call us at 505-277-5866. And we will be back in a moment.
3: Support provided by Independent Vehicle Service, specializing in Volvo since 1981, offering professional detailing and recondition services. Just because it's good to have an independent dealer alternative. Details at IVSABQ.com.
4: Support comes from REDW Wealth, a locally owned fiduciary investment advisory firm, providing financial planning, investment management, and consulting to New Mexican individuals, families, and businesses.
2: Composer Agustin Barrios was in a cathedral listening to heavenly music. Then he walked outside into the city and felt almost assaulted by the sudden change from serenity to noise. Coming up, music he wrote in response to that experience. The Cathedral by Agustin Barrios on the next performance today from APM.
1: Weekday mornings at 9 on KUNM.
2: Welcome back to
0: Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Megan Kamrick. We're taking your calls about what happens next with legal cannabis. Are you trying to get into the cannabis industry? What do you hope to see as New Mexico rolls out retail sales of recreational cannabis this coming April? Give us a call at 505-277-5866 or email us at letstalk at kunm.com. Um, I've been talking with Andy Lyman for the New Mexico Political Report, my co-host on the Growing Forward podcast, Kristen Thompson, director of the Cannabis Control Division. And also joining us is Emily Kaltenbach. She's senior director of criminal, legal and policing reform with the Drug Policy Alliance in New Mexico. She's also the chair of the Cannabis Regulatory Advisory Committee. Thanks for joining us this morning, Emily. Thank you. Hi, Megan. Hey, Emily, what is the role of the advisory committee in this whole process of creating a structure for legalized recreational cannabis?
4: It's a really important role. Uh, I do want to preface that we're in an advisory capacity, so we don't make any decisions. We just make recommendations back to the cannabis control division. But We are a group of... Individuals from across New Mexico with varying backgrounds and experiences that will that we believe will be important in that rulemaking process. And so we look at the rules after, um, before, and after we have hearings and make recommendations back to CCD. But we also have a really important role of providing recommendations back to the department around social and economic equity. And so in the statute, there is a provision requiring the department to come up with a plan to ensure and promote that there is equity in the new industry um, and also um, ensuring there's equity in New Mexico. So part of that could look like, you know, making recommendations of could we reinvest dollars back into the community from the revenue generated um, to people who have been most impacted by prohibition uh, across New Mexico? So that's, that's our role.
0: Did you take any cues from uh, Colorado or Arizona or any other states that might be a little ahead of us on legal Absolutely.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of lessons learned across the country when it comes to equity. New Mexico is going to be really interesting because in other states that have stood up equity programs they've capped licenses and in new mexico we're not and so that actually might benefit uh equity in new mexico given that there isn't a uh, a cap in the number of licenses and what we've noticed in other states is that some of the equity programs they look good on paper but um in reality it's very hard to encourage participation in the industry. There are a lot of barriers. So we're, we're really going to the people in New Mexico and getting intentional community input so that our program and the recommendations uh, reflect the needs of New Mexico.
0: We do have a call uh, right about the some of the equity issues from Carmen in Albuquerque. Uh, Carmen, what did you want to say or what question did you have?
2: Well, I, I have to say I was really excited when we we passed these laws and kind of the equity and accessibility component. And I got pretty excited as a businesswoman here in New Mexico to kind of get my foot into this industry. Um, but as I started to go through the application and, and research the accessibility of it, um, I was really wondering what the definition of equity was, because what I am discovering is you need a cool half million dollars to get into this game. While the application is not that expensive, the steps after it are really, really expensive. And so that doesn't make programs like this accessible to people like me. And so I was just curious what equity was and, and the definition and scope of this, this program.
0: Uh, Emily Kaltenbach, do you want to jump in on that?
4: Sure. I think mean, that is an incredibly important point and a great question. So um, part of the advisory board's role is to come up with what the definition of equity is and and actually create some programming to, re- to break down some of those barriers um, that was just noted. So, for example, just the cost that The capital cost to get in is extreme. And Megan, you mentioned at the top of the call or the hour that the New Mexico Finance Authority has approved this new uh, loan program. And what's exciting is that uh, loan program, the definition of that loan program is going to match the definition of equity for um, the regulation and licensing department. And that's up to $250,000. That's one step. Um, There are other steps around. Legal assistance. You know, it's so expensive. Um, We're hearing things like, you know, what are my water rights? That's a big issue. Or, um, you know, how do I expunge records? Think, you know, there's so much legal assistance just as an individual getting into this business, but also as a business owner. Um, There is a lot of um, important training and mentorship and apprentice programs that we could stand up. Um, We need to look at our higher education department across New Mexico. How can we build out programs so we get people ready to get into the business, both as a business owner or as an employee? So those are the types of things we're looking at. I will say that, unfortunately, you know, those programs will start rolling out into the next year. Uh, They're not ready yet. And that's where it's, frustrating because, you know, we're not starting necessarily with equity on day one. Um, but, you know, as a, as a board and as uh, my role at the Drug Policy Alliance, we are advocating strongly um, that equity be prioritized and started as soon as possible.
0: We have another caller who's uh, interested on this issue of social equity, Alex from Albuquerque. Um, what was your question or comment, Alex?
5: Hi, guys. Um, good morning, and thanks for holding this show. It's really cool and informative. Um, yeah, what I wanted to mention, not really a question, but just kind of mention, is um, in the law, um, I believe it can be read that 50% of the applications to be certified um, and actually given licensure um, shall be New Mexican-owned and uh, should be licensed uh, holders from New Mexico, and I just wondered how that sort of applies to a social equity paradigm with the program. In the sense that this is a program made for New Mexicans, and so New Mexicans should have a equal opportunity. And um, to me, that equal opportunity sort of spells a certain amount of social equity, as long as locals can really um, have a seat at the table. And I just wondered if that's part of the. Uh, RLD and CCD's um, vision, motivation, and focus right now in going through the applications is that uh, 50% of licensures will be given to local New Mexicans and not out-of-state owners or multi-state operators. Thanks okay. so well, much.
0: Thanks, Alex. Uh, I will kick that to Kristen Thompson, the Director of the Cannabis Control Division.
2: Um, sure, thank you, Alex, for that question. Um, we are doing everything to get more New Mexicans into the program. Uh, you will see some exciting changes within the department um, to really assist um, local businesses. And that is a goal. Like I said, it was it was, a a priority in the legislation it is my job to make sure that vision comes through we've got some exciting ideas and um and i hope that that people hang in there with us um and get uh the opportunity that was created by the legislation that is what we are working towards at the division and at the RLD.
0: Um, Andy, I know you've covered a lot of the players in the medical cannabis industry. They are also undergoing licensure for retail sales. Um, what is the landscape right now in terms of big out-of-state producers? Are you hearing people being concerned about that? Do we already have those folks here?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I could think of one, uh, and, and this is not, you know, Secret has been publicly uh, talked about, is um, UltraHealth, which I mentioned earlier, the uh, president and CEO actually lives in Arizona. And I think there's, I mean, he, he, uh, Duke Rodriguez definitely spends time in both states, but um, right there, we've already got one uh, sort of technically from out of state. And uh, I have heard lots of concerns about uh, from folks. Uh, my understanding is that the, you know, the, the legislation, the statute does not require anything like that. Um, I think going back to the equity provision, um, the, the state is tasked with trying to encourage that, you know, for, for New Mexicans to do it, but there's nothing that requires that I know of that there's some sort of quota or limit to um, out-of-state folks coming in. Um, so, I mean, there, that is a concern. I, I've also heard on the other side of things that, um, you know, we, we don't necessarily have a whole lot of money in this state for things like innovation and, and sort of branching out and doing new things. So um, there, there's, a, you know, two sides to the, the issue here is that uh, out-of-state money is not necessarily all that bad, but also there's that, of course, concern that uh, we're going to be sending our money to a company that's from out of state.
0: And I believe also you might've covered this. We had another company, MJ Express, who bought Pure Life, which was a local company.
1: Um, Yeah, I'm not exactly sure about all that. I mean, there's been lots of talk. I've had lots of phone calls about um, trying, you know, people telling me that this company is getting sold and, and I haven't really been following those leads because I've just sort of figured that that's sort of bound to happen there's going to be lots of uh sales Mm -hmm. um and at a certain point it's it's going to be um not as 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 big of a a news story as it is maybe right now um but mj express i believe is is from new mexico um so uh, i'm sorry i mean i'm seeing matt saying (laughs) no um but uh so, so I guess that there's, there's plenty of companies that, uh, you know, have ties to outside of the state. And we, look, we, we saw this in, in other states. There's national companies that move into these states. And of course, that's concern for local folks who might get pushed out of the market. But again, like I said, there's other folks that are saying, look, we need some out of state money to sort of, uh, boost this industry up a little bit.
0: And you mentioned, Matt, That is a uh, uh, time to bring on my uh, next guest, Matt Munoz, and he is the Chief Innovation and Finance Officer for Carver Family Farm, which is applying for a vertically integrated microbusiness license. That was a lot of words there. <laughs> Tell us, I'm break that down. What are you and your partners looking to do with Carver Family Farm?
3: Well, we had initially planned on doing pretty much everything under the vertically integrated license, which is. Production, manufacturing, retail. Um, some of these manufacturing rules are extremely cost prohibitive for a micro business, so we're now reevaluating that part of our license. Um, we're still considering doing some type of extraction, mainly you know organic bubble hash, but um, any type of other extraction is just so cost prohibitive for a small business like ours. We're not hmm. we're not looking closely at it right now. We're pretty focused on trying to get plants on the ground and trying to get a retail store open
0: how far along are you in this process and how much money have you had to raise? If you don't mind my asking,
3: can we ask Kristen how, how, how close I am? I'm just <laughs> kidding. <Kristen. laughs> um, I'm, I think I'm one of the 43 that you mentioned that's under review. Um, you know, every time I, every morning at eight o'clock, when I get up and check the CCD website, it still says that I'm under review. Um, we resubmitted our paperwork November 7th um, in hopes that it would get turned around kind of like a, uh, Mama's meds are the one that got turned around in three days, but it hasn't happened. So and we wait patiently for our license and uh, look forward to working with Kristen through this process.
0: Carmen mentioned a figure around half a million dollars to get into this industry. Does that ring true for you?
3: So we actually raised $350,000 from friends, family, um, you know, anybody that, that wanted to be part of our family business. Um, and it was a, it was a struggle. Um, and to be honest with you, it's, it's with construction costs, with inflation costs, with everything else going up, um, you know, we're, we're kind of reevaluating some of the things that we have to do. And there's also some expenses that we didn't think about. The city of Albuquerque um, instituted an odor control plan that was nowhere in our business life, our business plan, which cost us close to $18,000. Mm. I mean, we had to hire an industrial hygienist from out of state. We had to buy close to, I think, 30 carbon filters and fans just to meet the just to meet the city's requirements. And so there's some of those things that we haven't that we didn't plan for that. We have to you know roll with the punches if we want to be in this business.
0: Uh, I'm actually going to take a call. It's a, a topical right now because uh, Kathy uh, is calling in from Albuquerque. Kathy, thanks for calling in this morning. What did you want to make a comment about or ask a question about? Yeah, Oh, Rancho. Rancho. I'm sorry.
6: Uh, I just want to, you know, people don't realize that we got everything so fast, but we're only 2 million versus all of those other states that are like uh, millions and millions. We're only 2 million. I don't think that we're far away from 2 million. I mean two and
0: million
6: people, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. People are going, Oh my god, and the business is going to be big and whatever. We only have two million people, unless other people are coming from other states to buy it. We're and most of the states that are around us are already approved, so we're bir- virtually only two million just to make it for our own selves, unless other people from other states are coming in for that. Okay, and so people don't realize that, and, uh, and most of the business. That I notice is in Albuquerque, not in. I haven't seen that many in in Rio Rancho. I don't think that that may, I don't know how many people from Rio Rancho are applying, but I don't think that many. There aren't that many uh, even medical suppliers in Rio Rancho. Okay. So uh, it's a, it's a, you know it's a, most of our most of our whole state is just you know um, just uh, plots and you know land versus other states that really have people in it and you, you know okay okay so, thanks
0: thank you for calling kathy of course uh i'm sure folks like matt are looking to the uh great state of texas store because they have not legalized uh matt what how, you've talked about some of the challenges so far what what are your biggest challenges you're facing are you faced getting into those
3: Um, I mean, I don't know if we have enough time, Okay, (laughs) but, (laughs) um, I I think, you know, one of the biggest struggles I think for anybody in Albuquerque has been the city of Albuquerque. Um, you know, we had to get a zoning verification letter that was rejected by CCD, um, because it didn't specify that cannabis was allowed in our zone. So then we had to go back to the city. The city basically had to revamp our entire process. I, uh, said at the code enforcement office for five hours waiting for a signature on a letter because I kept calling and they said it was on the director's desk. It was on the director's desk. So I finally just went and sat in the office and waited for him to get back from his meetings to sign it. And so I think, you know, for us in Albuquerque, the city's become the biggest obstacle. And I think there's there's still a moratorium on the city for not issuing business licenses, which I think is going to cause a lot of damage to micro businesses like ours. Um, They haven't issued a business license, my understanding, for the last month and a half in any cannabis businesses, which is a requirement from CCD in order to get licensed. And so, you know, it's all of these little things that is just setting micro businesses back. And it's going to be harder for us to compete against these, you know, multi-state operators and corporate cannabis that's coming into the state. And so it's, uh, yeah, Our our, our biggest headache so far has been getting paperwork out of the city.
0: Okay. Andy, uh, we've talked to some Matt and some other entrepreneurs on our podcast and you cover this at New Mexico Political Report. Does Matt's experience ring true with other folks you've talked to?
1: Um, yeah, I think so. I think this is, you know, obviously a pretty new industry. And, and what we're seeing is sort of um, what Matt was getting at is this disconnect between, uh, maybe not disconnect, but um, this issue between local governments and the state government, um, you know, and and I think even uh, RLD Superintendent Linda Trujillo mentioned that it was sort of a um, some sort of like a, a, a circle that basically you kind of get stuck in this loop where you have to um, have requirements from your local government to get approved from RLD, uh, but then the local governments are saying we want approval from RLD before we we uh, give you a license, and and I, I've heard a lot of frustration uh, with the city of Albuquerque and bernalillo County. Um, But I also spoke with that gentleman who we mentioned, uh, Mother's um, Meds, Tony Martinez, and actually they're doing business as Lava Leaf Organics, but they're setting up in Aztec. um, And, you know, he he sort of credits um, getting the the license so quickly with uh, the city of Aztec. That's what he says. He says that the city of Aztec got um, through their their issue real fast and was able to, um, or they were able to produce those things that rld was asking for so that's what he credits getting it done so quickly um and so but yes i mean it's happening all over the state depending it's not just small cities or or big cities it's sort of all around i think people are hesitant uh or or managers or or city officials are hesitant to sort of move forward with this until they get the the green light from rld Um, but of course rld needs to, to know that they're properly zoned for wherever they're um
0: Operating. It sounds like a bit of a catch-22. Kristen Thompson, let me circle back to you, head of the Cannabis Control Division. Obviously, setting up a whole new regulatory structure for a new industry, there are going to be some hiccups. What is the division doing to help entrepreneurs like Matt and others address some of these challenges?
2: Sure. We are um, uh, hard at work right now trying to solve the, that catch-22. Um uh, again, you you will um, see some process improvements. We are trying to be as as nimble as a bureaucracy will allow, um, and uh, to improve our own process to solve for the issues that um, that a number of the businesses are experiencing um, in that uh, within that process. So do look for some news from us in the um, in the coming days or weeks. Um, as far as improvements in our own process goes, we, we cannot um, influence the local governments at this point, um, but we can do what we can do, and we are going to be doing it. <laughs> I do
0: have a email question from Frank Chambers. He was interested about your qualifications. Kristen, um, perhaps because you don't have a public administration degree, um and may not be as acquainted with bureaucracy and administration <laughs> that you just referred to. Um, are you finding that a challenge?
2: Well, I have worked, I've always said i worked at the government um, <laughs> for my entire career. Um, so I'm not unfamiliar with um, bureaucratic processes. I thankfully have an incredible team that is helping me navigate. Um, and what I bring is that outsider perspective on why, why can't we do this? Somebody, you know, talk me through it. Um, and uh, you know, I think it's making us all look better, but I, my incredible, incredible team um, is really helping me navigate, um, uh, you know, the the how and the why of, of government.
0: We're talking cannabis this morning as New Mexico continues to create a framework for legal recreational sales starting in April. You're listening to Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. You can call in at 505-277-5866. I'm Megan Kamrick. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute.
7: The USDA is trying out a new project, giving tribes much more control over the foods they offer for the federal food distribution program. It has the potential to enhance economic development and provide healthier, locally sourced options. We'll hear more about it on the next Native America
1: Calling. Weekday mornings at 11 on KUNM.
7: Holidays are coming and you might be thinking about giving a gift to KUNM. How about that old car or truck that doesn't run? It may be junk to you, but it's a great gift for KUNM. In fact, vehicle donations pay almost 10% of our bill. That's worthwhile. It's easy to give, no need for wrapping paper or a bow, just a phone. And this number, 888-KUNM-CAR, that's 888-586-6227. Welcome back to
0: Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. As New Mexico works toward recreational cannabis sales in April 2022, are you excited to see this new industry take off here? Are you concerned about what it will look like? Tell us about it at Let's Talk at KUNM.org, or you can call at 505. I want to go to uh, Kristen Thompson and Emily Kaltenbach. Um, Someone like Matt Munoz with Carver Family Farm with us here is accessing the municipal water supply in Albuquerque for his business. But some of the issues coming up around equity, which you're working on, Emily have to do with being able to prove you have a water source so you can get a license. And we've heard that well water can't be used in some instances, I believe. How how can this be addressed? Oh, do you want to say something, Matt?
3: I just want to point out that you can actually have 200 tomato plants that you water at your tiny property off of your residential well and take them to a farmer's market, but you can't do the same with cannabis. And it seems to be a Mm. little bit of a... Little bit of an issue when it comes to what's commercially grown agricultural product from residential wealth.
5: Mm -hmm.
0: Emily, uh, it's a big issue, as always, in New Mexico, perhaps the big issue. Um, And it seems like it could impact social and economic equity in those.
4: Absolutely. I mean, it's actually one of the number one things we've heard Um, when we've gone out to talk with folks around New Mexico. We've done surveys, we just, uh, Drug Policy Alliance did a poll, um, and a lot of these issues continue to come up. I think I'm not a water expert, so I don't have the ability to speak to it um, as far as, you know, how we solve it, but I do know that um, there's concern on both sides. You know, when we talk to families out in the rural communities, who uh, small agricultural families, they're concerned um, that they're not going to be able to grow, as Matt mentioned, because of how the language is being interpreted as far as what is a valid water right. And then there are other folks who are really concerned that marijuana businesses are coming in and purchasing and buying up water rights. So I think you know it's a complicated issue, um, but it clearly is an issue that New Mexicans are uh, concerned about.
0: Uh, We have an email from Mark. The cost associated with starting uh, beyond 99% of small New Mexican farmers just allowed to grow 100 plants under a simple business license would help many hundreds of New Mexicans. Uh, He says, I happen to be a successful professional beekeeper here. One rule I learned from my mentor, don't borrow for agriculture. (laughs) Well, uh, that actually goes to, despite that admonition not to borrow, as we heard this week, lawmakers... um, gave the okay for a program under the New Mexico Finance Authority for state loans to micro businesses um, up to $250,000. Matt, would this be helpful for someone like you? Because let's remind folks, you cannot go get a bank loan for a cannabis business. It's still federally illegal and loans are federally insured. So you had to go to your friends and family, raise some money. Are these loans going to help people like you?
3: Absolutely. I think it's gonna it's gonna help a lot of the smaller producers at least get their foot in the door, um, because it, you know as I talk to people and trying to help them through this process as well, the number one thing that I hear is first you know the water issue, and then the second issue is is financing, um, because you know people have great credit, they have a small amount of money in the bank, but you know they they can't raise the amount of money that's going to be required to actually do this at a place that maybe is off of their rural property because they don't have those water rights because they might have 10 acres in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico in a well, but they can't grow there because of the water rights issue, which means they have to buy commercial property or get a commercial well drilled. And so, yeah, the finance and the water is, is the two biggest obstacles. And I think this is a huge, huge step forward for micro businesses. And I just want to give um, Senator Daniel Soto and his, uh, His chair of the committee, Liz Thompson, you know, a big round of applause for getting this through. Um, It really does help the micro-businesses.
0: We do have Senator Daniel Ivy Soto joining us this morning. Thanks for joining us, Senator. Appreciate it.
7: Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here today.
0: Well, I brought you on because um, part of the social equity plan uh, under this law is automatic expungements for some offenses um, or some convictions, for marijuana. And um, maybe I'll bring in uh, this tweet from someone wants to know uh, if this program is opening the door for illegal cartels to transition to legal business in the state. Um, Emily, I know you and I talked about this. How does this work? (laughs) Let's talk about this in the context of expungements briefly. So a recent news story made it sound like you could be hauling a whole tractor trailer full of cannabis and get a slap on the wrist and you could have a big business. It sounds like the Sinaloa cartel could come here and, and I think that may not be true, but tell me what, what, what is wrong about that idea? Oh, couldn't hear you real quick. Ivy. Oh, go ahead. Senator Ivy Soto. Go ahead.
7: Yes. Yes. Can you hear me?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can.
7: Okay. I said, well, I mean, as for the Sinaloa cartel, you were you were just talking about out-of-state businesses coming in with experience in cannabis and trying to set up shop in New Mexico. I suppose that would be a, a different level of that. But that is not at all what we did with the Expungement Bill. The Expungement Bill does not uh, include uh, uh, people who are involved in the trafficking uh, of drugs. It does include, however, uh, people who were in, who were who um, had these convictions for... Uh, for possession, for paraphernalia, for you know a variety of other crimes uh, associated with, directly associated with marijuana, um, of the nature of people who've been who've been growing their own or who've been um, using their own over the years, and I think part of what it is, it's a recognition by the state as we're retreating on the the um, reefer madness era. That maybe there are some things that should not have been made illegal, and there are some people who should not end up then having to continue to suffer uh, convictions as a result.
0: What are the challenges to ensuring this happens? Because right now it's supposed to be "quote unquote" automatic. You don't even have to apply for expungement. So the state has identified over 155,000 people who could be eligible for this. So then, what happens?
7: Right, and so and so and so when 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 we say automatic people think that there 's a magic wand and it just in, instantly happens uh, unfortunately that 's not the case and and we 're going to have to revise the time fr- time frames a little bit to implement this um, because because we have we have a couple of challenges one one challenge is uh, simply identifying all one hundred and fifty five thousand cases which which i think they 've been able to do but then after that, you have a variety of cases where you have mixed Convictions, right? Where I might have been convicted for possession of marijuana, possession of drug paraphernalia, but then also convicted for, um, you know, criminal trespass or or convicted for some other some other crime, and say a DWI, and uh, and and so then they have to go through and figure out how to um, how to parse those out. Within a single case, because the entire case, if I have a DWI, that doesn't get suppressed. It's the re- It's the it's the possession charge that, that gets suppressed. And so th- it's it's really very laborious. And um, there are some judgment calls that are going to have to be made. And we're still we're still figuring that out. I've been working with the administrative office of the courts. They're committed to making this happen. but We're still trying to figure out exactly how to how to get there from here. And I know Emily's been working on this. Uh, a lot. This was one of her non-negotiables as we were going into this area, which I really appreciate the the, con- the, the sense of conscience that she brought uh, to this project as we were working on it from a legislative side. That it wasn't just about the agriculture, but about the social justice as well. So, uh, Emily, I don't know if, it, if what what what's your experience or what your feedback has been so far.
0: Yeah, Emily. This is why is this an important equity issue? Not only the expungements, but also I think this is what the concern the person who's tweeting to us was saying. You having a previous cannabis conviction does not bar you from getting into the industry under this law. Why are these things important, and why? How can you address the fears? What? Well, that means people who've you know have been major drug dealers are now going to be able to do it legally.
4: Yeah, it's so important. I can't. <laughs> um say it enough uh, how important it is that we have the social justice component because we know that in the past prohibition of cannabis has fallen hardest on community, people of color, low-income communities, rural communities across New Mexico, and now we've stood up this legal business, and it is, we have to repair some of those harms of of people being over-policed and disproportionately um, impacted by prohibition, and so we need to right some of those wrongs, and one way to do that is to make sure that those individuals can now make a living in a legal regulated, strongly regulated business, it's also really important um, from a public health and safety perspective, because when you allow people who have been um, working in the underground illicit market into the regulated market, you're going to start dismantling the illicit market. And so if we look at states that um, haven't um, done that, they might still have a, a thriving underground market. And so we need to make sure those individuals can actually work in, you know, th- th- those dollars are going back into our state coffers and not into an illicit market. And so it's really important. I will say though in the statute that people who have sold to minors are exempt. Um, and that's one of the barriers to getting a license. And we we thought that was really important to protect young people, but otherwise people can get in the market. And I just wanna say that, you know, I think there was a KRQE story about this. Um, Representative Reem said, you know, you could have a truck full of cannabis and get a $50 fine. That is not true. Um, that is still a fourth degree felony like it was before this act passed. And um, also, if you are selling out of an unlicensed storefront, that is also um, penalized very strictly. So we I think the bill has done a good job of making sure that we can shift into a strong Um, safe, above-ground industry.
0: Matt, you uh, just uh, sent me a note that you are actually a beneficiary of this. Tell me about that.
3: Yeah, so I was arrested when I was 18 years old for five grams of cannabis, spent 10 days in jail, did a year of probation, Um, Didn't graduate high school on time because of it. Um, Lost every scholarship, lost my access to federal student loans. Took me 12 years to graduate college. And so um, thanks Emily. people like me. Appreciate your work.
0: Now, that's that's great, Matt. Now, given some of the challenges that you're facing with just, you know, getting a license, are you going to be able to have product in your store when you open on April 1st?
3: I think that's a question for Kristen. Just kidding, Kristen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you know, our business plan had us putting plants in the ground November first. Um, that was based off of, you know, every public statement that RLD made that licenses were going to be issued in three to five days from when they were filed. That the provisionals would be turned around in three to five days once you refiled paperwork. Um, our business model has us planting grow rooms every two weeks, so we're now a month behind, which is two harvests behind for April 1st. Uh, if we don't get plants in the ground by December 15th, it's going to be hard for us to even have any product ready to sell on April 1st. And so, yeah, uh, we'd love to be able to sell plant, uh, sell product on April 1st, but we may not be able to.
0: Uh, we're almost out of time, but uh, quickly, Kristen and Emily, is there a, a risk of shortages if we don't get people like Matt up and running when we start retail sales.
2: I'm gonna I guess that's a question for me. Um (laughs) um Medical patients will always be able to get the medicine they need. Um, the Cannabis Regulation Act prioritizes New Mexico's nationally recognized medical program, and that's why starting out, twenty-five percent of all cannabis produced must be set aside for medical products. Um, this was a data-driven percentage based on years of usage. I'm, I'm saying this um, <laughs> with the the senator on the line. Um, uh, you know, this came from the, the New Mexico Department of Health. Um, additionally, you know, we're very excited by the enthusiasm around adult use cannabis sales in New Mexico um, and, and people like Matt, the producers that are um, so excited to get started. Um, demand for adult use cannabis may be high in the first few days, and that could cause some retail establishments, establishments to sell out fast. In fact, you know, this is we've watched this happen in every single state that has legalized adult use cannabis. Um, Businesses do run out over time. However, markets will settle, supply and demand will even out and there will be plenty of products for all consumers.
0: Well, that is all the time we have today. I I just want to ask real quick, uh, Senator Ivy Soto, are we going to see anything about cannabis on this legislative session to tweak anything?
7: Uh, it's 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 quite possible that you may see something in the 30-day session, particularly in terms of how um, uh, uh, its punishment is supposed to work. Part part of that will depend upon um, whether or not the governor okay. decides to give it an executive message. Okay, if not, you will for sure see lots of legislation in 2023 on the cannabis side as well as the expansion side.
0: That's all the time we have today. Thanks to everyone who called and thanks so much to our guest, Andy Lyman, my co-host on the Growing Forward podcast, Kristen Thompson with the Cannabis Control Division, Emily Kaltenbach with the Cannabis Regulatory Advisory Board and the Drug Policy Alliance, Matt Munoz with Carver Family Farm and State Senator Daniel Ivey Soto. You can find links to resources we discussed at KUNM.org. You can share your thoughts on Twitter with uh, the hashtag Let's Talk NM and on Facebook or by email. Let's Talk KUNM.org. You can also stream this online. Our engineer is Marino Spencer. Taylor Velasquez took your calls this morning. Robert Maldonado Life tweeted. Kaveh Movahead was the producer this week. Thank you so much. I'm Megan Kamrick.